In this episode, we speak with accomplished psychologist Dean Genova about how our mindset drives behaviour around our food choices and lifestyle. All content on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. None of the content provided is intended to diagnose, treat or relieve any medical health conditions and is not intended as a substitute for advice provided by your physician. You should always consult a healthcare professional before adopting any diet and lifestyle changes. Hi, I'm Donna Aston, and welcome to my Body Masterclass. As a nutritionist for the last 30 odd years, I've had the opportunity to work with some extraordinary health professionals, clients, and colleagues. During this podcast series, I'm going to share with you their experience as well as mine help you to sort fact from fiction, and hopefully inspire you to live your best life. My Body Masterclass is like the instruction manual that you didn't receive for your body until now. Dean Janova has been practising as a psychologist since 1999 and works with both adults and adolescents. Passionate about enabling change, He utilises cognitive behavioural therapy and mindfulness techniques to help clients get out of their head and into life. Dean practices what he teaches and loves to impart the knowledge he has acquired over many years. Dean has special interests in treating mental health issues in athletes and is a psychologist for various organisations, including the AFL Players Association, Australian Basketball Players Association, and Professional Footballers Association. He also works extensively in the corporate and forensic psychology fields, including working for many years with Victoria Police. Dean founded Paran Psychology in 2009 to achieve his vision of making simple and effective techniques for change accessible to his community. We hope you enjoy this episode today where we delve into Dean's expertise on mindset and mental health. So, Dean, welcome to our podcast today. We're really excited to to have you on board. Um, as you know, I work a lot with people about their health and about making lifestyle improvements, about losing weight and being able to stick to those healthier habits for the long term. And we know that our mindset and psychology plays a huge role in being able to do that and driving those behaviours. So, we're going to have a little chat today, so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank um, it's you. a pleasure to be here. Great. So the first topic I thought I'd have a chat with you about um, is is about the fear of change. Mm. Um, it can be quite daunting, and I think people are, are frightened of failing. They may have feel like they've failed many times over, particularly when it comes to weight loss or incorporating some healthier habits, whether it's food or exercise or a combination of those, and people tend to perhaps avoid things because they're frightened that they might fail again. Um, Do you have some thoughts on that and and what drives that behaviour and and potentially some solutions? 
Uh, yeah, I think all of us uh, think about some kind of change and uh, spend a lot of time uh, fantasizing about it. But the prospect of actually going ahead and doing it is a whole different ballgame. And once they start to consider the things that they need to change, um, what is actually involved, um, then some of the concerns and anxieties tend to uh, set in pretty easily. And those become quite overwhelming. Um, and before they've even taken the first few steps, um, they've already probably kind of talk themselves out of it. But obviously the motivation is there for a lot of people. It's just about capitalising on that motivation. I feel um, one example that I had, so I, I used to have gyms, as you know, and I had several trainers working for me. And I had one girl who, um, she, she had an injury. She'd been running a lot and training really hard and overtraining, and she had a, a very sore shin. Mm. So I sent her off to a medical specialist over at the hospital. And she came back uh, to my office a few hours later, hysterical. And I thought she'd had a car accident or something. Mm. I didn't know what had happened, but she was not able to communicate with me. She was in such a state. As it turned out, she found out she had a stress fracture in her leg from overtraining. Mm -hmm. And so she had to wear a boot for six weeks. So in her head from the car on, from the hospital back to where I was, was 10 minutes. And in her head, she told herself that she had such a problem now that she was going to lose her job because she wasn't going to be able to work. She wasn't going to be able to train. She would lose all of her progress. She would probably gain weight. All of her clients would be gone and her career was finished. Mm. And that's how her mind had sort of gone through this catastrophizing of the, the situation. Yeah. So I said to her, look, you know, this is, this sucks. You know, it's not a great situation, but now if you ever have a client that has a similar issue, you're going to know exactly how to train them. You're going to know exactly what the progression of healing is. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn different ways to train without using that leg. And you're going to learn an enormous amount that will go towards enhancing your career long-term. So, our views were very different of the situation. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that sort of self-talk can sometimes we can have a habit of going in the wrong direction? I think we're kind of pre-wired to go in the wrong direction. Um, Why is that? Well, there's a term that we use called de uh, destructive normality, which basically means that it's natural and normal for human beings to think towards the negative end of the spectrum. Even the most optimistic of people, we're all kind of geared that way. Um, and that goes back to evolutionary biology when it was uh, helpful to think about the worst case scenarios. To keep us safe. Exactly. When we're all kind of living on the African uh, savannah mm. at the time. Um, 200,000 years later, living in modern times, um, evolution is a very slow process. So we still essentially have the same kind of minds. Mm. And so the mind is geared towards self-protection. Um, so we're all towards that negative end of the spectrum. It's just that some of us are more there than others. Um, and it can be easy for any of us at any time to be moved along that spectrum based on circumstances and situations that we face in our lives, including a uh, significant injury for someone who was very active beforehand. So it's important to realize that that's just a matter, of, that that's just how our minds work. Um, we need to be more accepting of that. And it's not a matter of never having those thoughts. Um, it's about what you do once you have them, because they're inevitably going to come. And so do you feel, have you seen some of your patients be able to learn the skills to change those habits and start potentially not going off in that direction so far? Because she suffered the physical and emotional stress mm. of many situations that had not happened and were unlikely to happen 
yet she was suffering the the consequences of all of those things. So for her, it was really detrimental. Right. She was suffering it all at once because it was just fresh and raw. She was trying Mm. to make sense of things and her mind was chiming in. And so number one, the mind is geared that way. And obviously when you have a physiological response to that, which means that everything that you think you're going to feel in some kind of way, you start to become fused with that thought and start to see the world through that thought. And that's when that spiraling really starts to occur. Mm. And once you're in that spiral, it can be really hard to get out of it. Mm. So you were asking about, you know, the ability to change that. Well, uh, I've been doing this a long time and I wouldn't have a career unless I believed that change was possible. And I've seen many people overcome that. And it starts with learning what a mind is and how it works and then how their minds work so they can better step back and see those thoughts, see the impact on how they're feeling and start attributing the way they're feeling more to a way of thinking rather than what they're doing when they're panicking, which is turning a thought into a fact. Mm. So if it is a fact that it's going to be a disaster, if it's a fact that it's going to be a difficult uh, prospect to, to change things, then your body will feel it and it'll seem like, not not only we have these negative thoughts, but it seems like they're true because your body's reacting that way. Mm. So being able to step back and see that occur and then make better decisions is the kind of starting point. Mm. As far as, um, you know, making the first move for everything, I I see in my um, work a lot of people procrastinating. And so I think we often tell ourselves that stories that we're going to do something Mm. at a later date to sort of, appease the guilt of not doing it. And and we tend to sort of push this procrastination out. It could be, again, linked to that sort of fear of actually making a change and starting. But do you, do you, I'm assuming you see that a lot in your practice. And are there any sort of tips and tools or anything you could tell us about procrastinating? Because it be, can be very debilitating for a lot of people. You know, a lot of yeah. people can really struggle with it. Yeah, well, procrastination is... It's a coping mechanism. Um, it's something that, again, that we naturally gravitate towards because, um, you know, the prospect of change can be so overwhelming. So when you start to think about things, especially in a big way, um, all that's going to be involved, the difficulty that's going to be involved in it, obviously, um, uh, you know, that uh, creates worries and concerns. And then what's the out for that? <coughs> Procrastinate. Mm. Do it later. Do something else instead of uh, Uh, focusing on the task at hand. So it's a natural thing that's a part of what we tend to do to cope. And if we start to help them see it as one coping mechanism, but not necessarily a good one, then they can start to consider some of the other options. So it's about giving them some other coping mechanisms, giving them some ideas of different things that they could do to manage that side of their behaviour? Yeah, you've got to see procrastination as a block towards something. You have a goal orientation in line with something that you want to achieve. Um, there's the natural concerns and worries that come about as a result of that. Um, so then, you know, procrastination is, ex- is something that becomes a block. But what are the blocks? So you can keep saying to yourself, well, just do it or start it tomorrow or just get a move on. And all those are good things, but it's not necessarily going to help you to feel better about what you're doing. So you've got to identify what the blocks are. Some of the blocks might be well, cognitively, it's usually, it's going to be too difficult, it's going to be too painful, or it's going to be too tedious, or it's going to be too boring, any of these thoughts. Unless you start dealing with uh, the blocks, which are these uh, thoughts that you might have about the uh, uh, what you need to do, then you're always going to struggle with uh, procrastination. So it's about being able to challenge those thoughts or see that there are alternatives. Um, and everything that you think isn't necessarily uh, how it's going to turn out. 
I think it's a lot to do with our self-confidence as well um, and how much we trust ourselves. Um, I find I've always been one who will probably dive in head first mm. um, and just try things and I'm, I'm comfortable. I mean, I don't like to fail and I don't like something not to work, but I'm comfortable with that. I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work, I, I learn something from it and move on. And yep. that's what I always try to do, whether it be uh, something in my personal life or whether it's something with my work. Um, I'm always up for trying something. Mm. And, and it, sits, it sits okay with me that I, it's, if that's an option that I might not be successful at something, then that's okay. I've, I, that's, how, that's how we learn. Yep. And I've had so many experiences over my life along those lines that I'm sort of comfortable with that. Is it a, a self-talk or a self-confidence thing that, that sort of perpetuates this procrastination? It does. And then it just keeps, keeps getting reinforced over time the, 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 the less you try things. Mm. So I often say that confidence comes from experience. Mm. In the end, the confidence is going to come from having tried that thing, having tried that thing, succeed, great, I can try things. Or having tried that thing that you want to do, it doesn't go so well, but you realize, well, the world hasn't fallen apart. Mm. Either way, it's great learning, but you've got to get to the point where you are just engaging in the experience. But it's difficult for, for people to allow the experience to speak for themselves because of that, what I said before, the engine room, mm. um, which is saying, don't do that. You're fine where you are. Um, status quo is is absolutely okay. So again, it's about trying to address those thoughts and being able to separate yourself from them as much as possible. Mm. As far as I think through through COVID, through the pandemic, we've all experienced many different things. And, you know, a lot of people had a lot of increased stress, whether it was fear of losing their job, fear of getting sick, um, you know, being isolated and, and working and living at home mm. and being in lockdown. So there was a, a lot of um, people feeling very unsure about the future. And I think, you know, I'm sure you saw the stress levels go up enormously. I, the one thing I think that was a positive out of it is that I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes to um, seeking help for mental health issues or for, you know, anxiety and stress that people were experiencing. Did you find that throughout the pandemic that now the stigma has really lifted as far as finding help through a psychologist? Absolutely. Look, we're not quite there yet, mm. but I think it turbocharged that um, um, uh, moving beyond the stigma. Um, yeah, people during the pandemic when they couldn't do much else other than stay at home and um, couldn't be as active and didn't have the usual pathways to well, well, well-being, they thought about their own mental health and ways in which they could improve it. Um, so that translated to a lot of things. There are a lot of things that people did online uh, that all that were provided by a range of organisations, but we saw a huge uptick in people accessing psychology. Yeah. And through telehealth as well now, which, you know, probably opens up the access a lot more for people yep. um, and makes it more accessible. I know you um, at your practice um, do quite a bit of telehealth still we do. now, which is great. Um, as far as the stress side of things goes and feeling overwhelmed. I know for myself, I if I get overwhelmed with something, I tend to, I know I need to make some space around myself mm. I so that I can breathe and see things clearly. So I, I tend to reassess my schedule if I'm feeling overwhelmed and it's too full and I'm, I'm very methodical about putting things in place. And one mm. thing I've learned over the years is to say no 
to some things uh, because I think I used to say yes to just about everything and then mm. the consequence was my mental health yeah. because I used to resent it because I didn't actually have time to do anything for me because mm. I was trying to do everything for everybody else. I think particularly with women, I think this is a maternal instinct where they tend to look after everybody else and sort of forget themselves. Yeah. And I think with men who have busy jobs, the same sort of thing can happen. Do you have any um, any thoughts or any tips for perhaps if people are feeling overwhelmed, um, you know, what can they what can they do and what can they put in place? Well, just going on from what you've said, I'm a big advocate for people learning how to say no. Mm. Um, it's seen as a negative thing, uh, and it's not. I think everyone's got to see themselves as a limited, precious resource. So if you see yourself that way, you can only apportion yourself uh, across the spectrum of things that you need to do in a in a very careful way. Mm. Otherwise, it's going to lead to uh, to burnout. So there's nothing wrong with saying no. Um, you, we've we've always got to be constantly checking in on ourselves. So everything that uh, we're experiencing is related to a range of feelings. And oftentimes we ignore those feelings, uh, but it's important to stop and think, well, what am I feeling? Am I feeling tense, anxious, apprehensive? If I am, what might it be related to? And if there's anything that you can change, then absolutely, then you're just maintaining uh, yourself as a, 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 re a resource. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, as far as, you know, saying no and, and putting that side of things in place, People do tend to, like, a lot of it comes to me that's urgent. Mm. Um, and I always say it's important to separate urgent from important. Yeah. And what is urgent is usually somebody else's urgency or timeline, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the most important thing um, for me or for my business or whatever it is that I'm working on. So I tend to separate things out, and I might say to somebody, yes, I can do that for you, but I can't do it for another three or four weeks. Mm. And most people accept that. It's actually better than putting the pressure on yourself of saying, yes, I can do everything, yeah. then potentially over-promising and under-delivering, mm. putting even more pressure on yourself than everybody around you is angry because you haven't met their expectations and it just starts to compile, you know, in something that is very overwhelming. So I think, you know, being able to just say no or set realistic expectations of what you're actually capable of doing is, is super important. That's right. And that can be a function of um, uh, having a self-sacrificial belief structure or schema, which is the way that you see yourself, the world around you and the people in it. Um, and people can gravitate towards the idea that uh, in order to be engaged, in order to connect, I need to give more. I need to put myself second. Um, and then they just uh, repeat that throughout their lives, which means that, that their own mental health, their own needs keeps getting eroded and eroded. But as long as they feel everyone else is happy, they think they're happy, but it's having a huge detrimental effect. I see it a lot and I think it it reaches a peak or a head with everyone eventually mm. and will materialise in different ways. Do you see that in your practice? It'll get you in the end. So, yeah. yes, there's only so much you can give uh, to other people. Mm. Um, and then when you are giving and giving and giving and realising, well, hold on, I'm not getting much in return because mm. you can never give as much as no. you, uh, you can never get back as much as you give. So mm. then you start to have a bit of an existential issue. You know, how, why do I not feel good about myself? Why uh, aren't the connections as, uh, as, as solid as I think they need to be? So they'll eventually, you know, reach, reach that time where they need to consider what to do differently. Mm. 
And the thing is that most people don't know how to do that. What does it mean? I know I need to change, but uh, the process, I don't know. I know something's wrong with my car. Um, I don't know how to fix it. Well, we've got mechanics and all no, any number of things to fix a range of uh, issues in our lives. But um, it's only more recently that we've thought, well, hold on, something's happening up in the engine room. Maybe I should speak to a psychologist. As far as um, one of the biggest problems I see with people is is emotional eating or using food as a coping mechanism. Mm. So perhaps they haven't learned other ways of coping and the first thing that they will go to is often a, a binge on food, yeah. which is ultimately an unhealthy thing for them to do mm. and then afterwards regretful and sort of beating themselves up and kicking themselves in the head for having done it, which compounds the problem and it keeps going around in a circle. Yeah. They also tend to get that attitude where, um, you know, I've, I've done it now, I've eaten all the wrong things, <clears throat> so now I'm just going to, you know, go and eat everything. I've mm. ruined everything. Yep. That kind of attitude towards food and behaviour around food. Can we talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think a lot of people are uh, engaged in um, experiential avoidance. So um, whatever might lead them to make that decision to binge, for example, um, is them probably not wanting to feel certain things that might, it could be something that's happening in their lives. And I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel stressed. I don't want to feel apprehensive about anything. So they look towards um, safety behaviours. Uh, I don't want to experience that, so I'm going to avoid it and therefore uh, I'm going to gravitate towards something that I think will keep me safe, like eating. And it does. Uh, you might get that dopamine hit from it um, and temporarily it's going to make you feel good. Um, but if you had actually learned how to sit with the anxiety in the first place, um, notice that it will be there, it will linger, it will dissipate and it will go away eventually. If you do nothing, um, then that's a very powerful tool because the next time you're experiencing any kind of stress in your life, you might think, well, I could eat or I could just acknowledge that I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. I know it'll pass, deep breathe, um, and uh, just allow it to be there until it dissipates. That's a very powerful tool. I also think that when everyone has different triggers, so mm. what makes me feel anxious probably wouldn't affect you and vice versa Correct. because we've all experienced different things in our life and we all have different triggers for, mm. for these things. So I feel sometimes if something is repeated over a lifetime, we get more and more sensitive to those triggers and we might go from zero to a thousand in a few seconds, whereas someone else, it really might not have an impact on them at all. Mm -hmm. Is that something you work with, with patients? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, noticing the triggers, um, expecting them to occur. Um, yeah. you know, the world can be a very triggering place for pe lots of people in different ways. Uh, I think people get shocked when they're triggered by something and when you have a better understanding of the connection between your your thoughts, feelings and behaviours, then you become less surprised by the trigger and the impact that it's having on you. You see it as, right, I'm feeling this way because of this thing that's occurring. Uh, then you can be better placed to decide if it's actually something at all that you should be worried or scared about. And I think the more that you take an a, approach approach where you're facing your fears, you're engaging in that experience, um, obviously those triggers can dissipate over time. 
I worked some time ago with a professor at Swinburne University um, who worked a lot with emotional intelligence. And he was talking to me about, he explained to me an amygdala hijack Mm. where, you know, if if your emotions reach a certain threshold um, that the frontal lobe, the decision-making and filter shuts down and everything comes from the amygdala, the very primitive part of your brain, out. So if you're having an argument with somebody and something's coming out of your mouth that's so stupid Mm. and you know it at the time but you can't stop it um, and you're in that state of it's that sort of fight or flight heightened state. That's right. And that I think can also relate to binge eating. If you get into that state, perhaps, you know, you know that what you're putting in your mouth is the wrong thing mm. and that you probably, it's not going to do you any good, but you can't stop. Yeah. Um, is that something that you work with people on and, and is that something that you can, you know, sort of work them through? Well, I think um, when it's, you know, a minute to midnight, it's hard to Put, in, put something in place. So you want to get to the point where you're not getting as uh, aroused in the first place. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, obviously that fight or flight response, what happens is your uh, amygdala is kind of working overtime and the prefrontal cortex, the CEO of your, your brain, switches off because you don't need higher order level of thinking when you're being chased by a wild animal. Um, so you want to get to the point where you prevent that from occurring in the, in, in the first place. Um, because once you're in that situation, it's very hard to try and think your way out of trouble. And actually, the more you're trying to think your way out of trouble and your um, brain's not actually working that well, it's like being in a car in a muddy ditch and you just keep pressing on the accelerator and churning off the mud. Mm, Great Um, analogy. mm, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is something, you know, I just, what I want people to know is that because I hear a lot of people say, oh, I always do that. Mm. Oh, but that's just me. I'm just that type of person or that's my personality or I've done that since I was young. Those types of things we tell ourselves, I think that with therapy and Mm. with somebody who can help guide them in a different direction or understand or unpack a lot of that can really help to make changes for you to handle and view things differently. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, I, we we call them safety behaviors. So it's the things that we um, gravitate towards to deal with the perceived threats. Mm. Um, so if you're engaging in something like binge eating or whatever it might be, um, again, it's a safety behavior. You think it's going to keep you safe, but psychologists use that term in a in an ironic way because it doesn't actually keep you safe. Mm. But if I were to say to you, I'm going to take away your coping strategy, I'm going to take away the thing that you uh, think helps you the most, well, you're going to be pretty resistant to that, aren't you? And you're probably going to come up with excuses like, well, yes, that's just me. It's my personality. It's what my family does. Um, All these things kind of make sense. And uh, But, yeah, once you start to kind of shine a light to them and look at the alternatives, then people can be better placed to decide, well, that's one way of doing it. Perhaps there might be alternatives. So giving people alternatives, giving people the, the spectrum of uh, things that they can do to make a decision um, is, yes, yeah, or you're better informed and then you can feel better about making the right decision. Mm. As far as self-confidence goes, um, again, I hear people say that things that are not confident Uh, with themselves. To give you an example, I have a client, a private client who is seeing a psychologist at the moment to Mm. help her. She's, she's extremely overweight and not healthy and not very happy with that. 
but she's really struggling with her behaviour around food. And she was given a list of positive affirmations to say about Mm. herself, things that, you know, about her being worthy of everything that she was doing. And she physically couldn't say them. Yeah. She looked at, she read it and just said, I I can't, I can't say them. Mm. I don't believe them and I can't say them. Mm. Um, You know, that, that really upset me because I, I know her and she's a wonderful woman and I, would happily say all those things about her. Yeah. So something like that feels like such a deep problem for her to work through. Is that something that people, you've seen people come through? Uh, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, the idea of those affirmations and just getting people to turn a negative into a positive, for example, I, I don't think that gains much traction, mm. uh, especially if you don't believe it. Mm. Um you know, people often say you need to love yourself before you uh, are able to, you know, love anyone else or have a relationship. And I don't think that's true. I think you can love yourself. There are times you're going to hate yourself. There are times when you're going to be mildly amused by yourself. Um, As you would with somebody else, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. So to be so black and white to <laughs> say, look, you're going to feel, you could feel better once you believe these things. It's it's asking too much of people. Um mm-hmm. I think it's much better to focus on the idea that these thoughts do come to you, um, but have them as an idea. Like if you th- if you think negatively of yourself, instead of uh, uh, judging that to be true, which is what we normally do, which means you become melded with that and then you see the world through it, it's the idea that it's okay, it's just an idea, it's an opinion, um, it's a suggestion, whatever it might be. Um, but don't just... just um, just kind of loosen the grip of that thought somewhat um, and see what other alternatives there might be. You don't have to convince yourself of anything because, like I said, confidence comes from experience. Mm. The experience of, uh, you know, whichever way you want you to exercise, to improve your health, just to see how that makes you feel in comparison to this belief that you have that you that might be negative in some way. So you can't hold two truths at once. You create that dissonance. I always describe it. You know, like if you if you wanted to trust a friend or another person and they kept letting you down or they kept having a different behaviour to what you expected, mm. it would be very difficult to trust them. And I think a lot of people do that with themselves. And I, I'm a big believer in just making a commitment to it and trying to, you know, just repeat, repeat, repeat. It's that practice to convince yourself that, hey, I've done this now dozens and dozens and dozens of times over. Mm. And look, you'll everyone's human. Everyone slips up here and there and they're not perfect. But I think it's just practice, 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 isn't it? It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen just because you understand something intellectually. No, that's right. And I am a big fan of the idea of embracing your insecurities. Mm. So instead of trying to get rid of these insecurities or hide them, which leads to unhealthier behaviours. I think the the height of um, confidence is when you're okay with some of the things that you're insecure about. Um, And when you're comfortable with them, you're not overly focused on them, which means that they they have a role, they're there, but they're not taking up your whole life. Mm. Great advice. At what stage should somebody seek professional help from a psychologist such as yourself? Yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, as as soon as possible, the earlier the better, um, prevention better than cure, uh, all those kind of stereotypes. Um, 
any time is a good time. Uh, people might think that they're too far gone or uh, that, that you know they're, they're too ensconced in some of their bad habits and they can't change them. I wouldn't have a job if that were the case. Um, earlier the better. Um, I, I, I encourage the people to take up a think and do attitude, which is you think it, call it. Um, call that number, click on the website and just take that next step. I think people tend to wait until, you know, it, their problems are so bad mm. and so complex that they've decided finally that there is no way known they can cope with this alone and at that point they may seek help. But I think until then people don't see psychology still as something I, I would see it more as you know, if I have a, a problem I'm working through, it's almost like having a coach mm. who can help me change perspective or see things differently or work on new skills that I might need to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish and where I'm going. Yeah. It doesn't have to be at the emergency disaster end of a situation, right? No, uh, definitely not. Uh, although we can work with that end of the spectrum, there's the mental wellness end of the spectrum as well. You don't even have to have anything particularly bad going on for you. Uh, if you just want to potentially improve things or think that there might be better ways of, of doing stuff, then um, it's good to see a psychologist for that. That's good to know because I think a lot of people don't realise that. They think, you know, that something has to be quite an emergency and have reached a point that is so severe that they're not coping. And I, and I think that that's a mistake that some people make. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just, it starts off with a simple conversation. I think a lot of people might not access a psychologist because it's the processes and it's probably on us that it might seem a bit opaque. Um, um, and it's intangible. What do you do when you see a psychologist? I'm going to lie down on the couch and talk about my mother for, for endless hours. And, uh, we've definitely moved beyond that. Um, so knowing more about the practical steps that are involved in seeing a psychologist, um, that it is about change, that that's what we're there for. There is a process to engage in step-by-step. Step. You need to be developing skills and insights. Um, then yeah, who doesn't want further insights and skills that are going to help them in life? Yeah. So if somebody wanted to contact your office and they're listening to this and think I'd really like to explore the idea of perhaps seeing one of your team, how might they contact you? Uh, probably best to just Google Paran Psychology. Mm -hmm. um, I've invested a lot in SEO, so it's at the very top of the <laughs> rankings. Um, and all the information's there. We have uh, now six psychologists. Um, a lot of uh, We've all got over 20 years' experience. Um, very easy to talk to, very easy to make an appointment. You can book online. Um, just start off with saying, hey, I was thinking about seeing someone and we'll help you through the, the rest of the process. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise today. I think it's opened up um, a lot of information about psychology in general and about our behaviour. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow and subscribe. <laughs>